Hello, and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we're going to be talking about copper. My name is Mark Seddon, Senior Manager in Analytics and Consulting for Metals at Argus Media, and today I'm joined by Bruce Olway, Director of Metals Research, and Karen Norton, Lead Analyst for Base Metals, and they're both from the LSEG. Okay, so um, starting off with um, copper in uh, energy transition, um, copper is obviously a metal that's key to the energy transition process. Um, Could you give us your views on the market in the coming years? Yes, um, there's no denying that copper is an essential part of the energy transition. We've seen moves to engineer some metals out of that picture um, due to a perceived lack of supply or difficulties and concerns in accessing the available supply. But while there's some opportunity for substitution in corporate excessively high prices, it will be key to the transition in products such as electric vehicles, um, charging station networks, renewable energy. The economic picture is not particularly bright for the next six months or so, at least for copper, with global recession concerns and sluggish demand, especially due to China's zero COVID policy continuing and the parlous state of its real estate sector. However, the, the copper industry needs to be preparing for what looks to be a pretty robust demand picture beyond the next three years. Um, can you give us an idea in terms of numbers? Do you have a, a figure available uh, in terms of the growth in demand for copper? Do you have... Um, compound annual growth rates, for example, or or even overall um, overall numbers. So I think copper demand is around about 25 million tonnes at the moment. Um, how do you see that growing in, in the uh, in the coming years? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we agree with that figure of um, 25 million tonnes roughly. Um, next year, it's a reasonable growth, um, despite the sort of picture um, not looking great in the first half. Um, so compound annual average, um, it, it's going to be sort of between one and a half, two percent over a, a sort of a longer term page. Um, but I would I would imagine that in, if we're looking at things like energy transition, uh, EVs and so on, the growth rate rates are going to be probably a little bit higher than that, do we think? Um, I think there will be some sort of slowdown in, in, in sort of um, elsewhere. Um, you know, Ch- China is a pretty uh, maturing economy, um, so it's still big figures, but it, it will be slower growth um, along the way. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a robust picture, but it's not, um, you know, exceptional. Yeah, I mean, because I've I've seen some 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 figures bandied about, uh, reading headline figures that the copper demand could double over the next decade or so, uh, which would give a, a much healthier growth rate, five to six percent, and people mentioning that you know, for example, a, a full battery electric vehicle has about almost four times as much copper in it, um, and in some renewable energy systems, you you may even have twelve times more copper. Um, would that would that be a fair assessment, or is it is there going to be some sort of demand destruction, destruction, or or even demand loss in 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 other areas that would pull that sort of growth rate down? Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we we look at four times um, the, the figure in a in a you know ice car, um, and 
we sort of come to that a bit a bit further along, but there there are factors um, that that will impact uh, demand. There there would be the potential for demand destruction if you saw those sort of um, demand growth figures that you're talking about. Mm. Yes, because um, um, I look at rare earths, for example, and mm. rare earths are used in ice vehicles as well as, and again, there are similar figures, three to four times as much rare earth permanent magnets in a yeah. battery electric vehicle. But then when you're looking at the overall growth rate for the automotive industry, it's a lot slower. Yeah. Um, so you're obviously replacing uh, demand in ice vehicles with demand in EVs and so on. So although we're seeing um, sales figures for EVs at 25% per year and so on, that actually doesn't then feed through to 25% per year growth in, in copper demand no. and so on. No, and also, I suppose um, the the other factor to consider is, you know, changing lifestyles. Is everyone going to have a, an EV that, or two two cars who had, um, you know, two ice cars on the road? I think the sort of younger generation we're looking at, it, certainly in the developed world, they don't even um, quite often learn to drive, let alone want to uh, own a car. Yes, I think I think that's that, that's probably key to the the further forward you go. Um, yeah. You know, there are autonomous vehicles and so on. So it's not just a question of never-ending sales growth for EVs or even vehicles themselves, which is I think something that people perhaps don't take into account. The further forward you go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so if we're looking at we're still looking at steady um, steady demand growth, and obviously there there can be discussions as about how quickly and how much. Um, but supply is obviously a concern, um, and even you know with one to two to three percent growth, um, this is still means extra copper. So can you can you um, outline your outlook for the supply side of the industry? Uh, yeah, I mean driven by the energy transition and the lack of new mines, uh, the, the gap between supply and demand has been put by, by you know, some people at several million tonnes by the middle of the next decade. We, we tend to forecast shorter term on the whole. Um, and at the moment, looking at our own forecasts, when we factor in high probability projects and the, the sort of normal disruption allowance you see in copper, we're looking at two years of strong growth um, after this year uh, at the moment that they're looking pretty strong and, and quite a bit above trend um, 20, in 2023 and 2024. I mean, at the same time, uh, it has to be said that we we were looking at strong growth this year and that there's a lot got in the way to disappoint that picture. Uh, there's been some disruptions at a number of, of large mines, um, obviously Las Bambas in Peru. There's been lower grades at some of the major mines uh, in the major producing countries, especially in Chile, as we keep seeing. So that 5% production allowance we, we normally allow has been exceeded already. Um, but as I say, if the next two years pan out more in line with the expectations that we have, and, and a lot of people have, it's it's pretty strong growth, uh, but it does start to tail off from around 2025, and that continues through to the end of the decade at the moment, with the, the supply picture needing more metal units, and at the moment still seeing that reluctance of, of miners to commit to sufficient projects in volume. So that reluctance essentially has to be overcome soon. And and so is this reluctance on the investment side? Is it is it a question of of money? I think there has been a bit of a capex drought. Uh, I think that's fair to say. I think one thing you've got to consider is it's been a pretty long time where you've had fairly low prices. Um, you know, if you look at incentive price, 
um, analysis, which um, you know I guess is conventional analysis of just trying to work out the ins to incentivize the marginal greenfield project to meet requirements for the next ten years. Um, yeah, there haven't been enough capex. Why? I think three three key reasons really, apart from the kind of low price that that we've seen. First. It's the industry's limited firepower. So, you know, even the big miners can only really fund one major project at a time. Um, second is, of course, diminishing investment returns, um, lower grades, pushing up extraction and processing costs. Um, geology is more complex and mineralogy is more complex. So we're seeing more arsenic that needs blending and needs, you know, and again, that all, all adds to costs, right? And I think third, obvious, rising political risk. Um, with high prices, you get resource nationalism, um, and even in some cases without high prices. Um, so the argument would be that prices are not high enough and have not been high enough to incentivize um, sufficient production for this, um, you know, for the for the for the transition <clears throat> uh, away from fossil fuels. So even with prices where they are at the moment, I know we've seen a little bit of. Um, uh, prices come off in 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 the last month or so. Um, would prices where they are currently, they're still not at levels needed for to incentivize this long-term production? I think not. I mean, we we've been running this for a number of years, and um, you know, regularly update the incentive price before the pandemic, but post the financial crash, we were looking at about six and a half to seven and a half thousand dollar. Uh, per ton copper, and I think that was pretty much in line with the uh, with the peer group. Um, more recently, obviously, you've seen cost pressure. Um, remember, the feasibility studies are only a you know plus or minus fifty percent on the actual projected capex. So I think there's a lot of potential for capex inflation. If everyone, like we know, you know, tries to build a mine at the same time, it's you know it's it's obviously massive uh, massive inflationary pressure. So I think if you factor in you know, current inflation in terms of the average cost and the return on um, uh, the return on capital required. I think it's eight and a half thousand. And, um, you know, I'm sure around LME week um, there was a, a kind of consensus that, you know, spot is certainly too light, low still to incentivize. So, yeah, eight and a half. And, you know, you've got, you've got obviously industry leaders saying 15,000. So, I mean, OK, they're talking their book. But um, it, it's definitely a price. We, we definitely need to see high prices to incentivize the next wave of production. Sure. So um, in general terms, how much does it actually cost to build a new mine? I'm, I'm guessing it's a it's a fairly large, large, a large sum of money. And how long are we talking in terms of getting a mine up and running? Yeah, I think, you know, it's generally regarded 10, 12 years. But of course, that's from you know, discovery, yeah, it's more like a greenfield discovery through through to construction and, and execution. Um, you know, clearly brownfield expansions, on-site expansions, etc., cetera, uh, are, are much, much easier, much cheaper. But yeah, I think, look, I mean, in terms of the, the time frame we've looked at, in terms of the price, I mean, we think it's, you know, really encapsulated in that incentive price. So because, of course, the incentive price includes the um, the capital intensity um, of the of the project. Um, 
which is basically capex divided by total copper, including those equivalent calculations for byproducts. So we tend to wrap it up all in that. So um, yeah, look, incentive prices say have moved from probably six and a half thousand to eight and a half thousand dollars per ton. And yeah, that does reflect what I think we mentioned as those kind of hurdles against um, you know new mines. The metallurgy is getting more complex. The infrastructure is getting more complex. I.e., these may be remote mines, which require you know way more investment into infrastructure, um, and obviously there's delays on you know social licensing and environmental permitting. But I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, how long do we want to defer projects on an environmental basis? Because you know the more projects we defer, the more CO2 is going to be pumped into the atmosphere. So I think in this energy transition kind of narrative, we do have to start thinking about, um, you know, um, mining and having the materials we need for the transition. Right. Um, so if we're, if we're talking about investment, um, I mean, copper has an advantage of being an exchange traded metal. So you have the LME, COMEX and so on. So it's possible to hedge price risk. Um, so in theory, there should be a, a, a plentiful pool of potential investors such as banks and so on. Um, but if we're looking at a, a, a potential lack of investment, um, do, does the copper industry need to attract new investment uh, or a new investment community? Um, yes, I mean, I would agree with that, that, um, that there is a pool out there. There's a, increasingly, we've seen private equity get, get into it and royalty com companies investing. Um, and, and from the mining side, you probably see some more uh, acquisitions of, um, you know, mid-sized miners with promising projects. Um, we also sort of see that there's increasing pressure on governments to act to, um, to act and spend. Um, given that these metals are becoming critical to, to their own green pathways, um, so that they need to in, um, sort of do something to, to secure the material that they need. Interestingly, we also um, think that there's potential for some oil and gas producer, producers to get into metals mining. Um, and it's not obviously the case that they, were, they did that in the past as well. Um, in the 70s, we saw oil and gas firms uh, sort of involved in some of the big mining companies. Um, obviously, that was a process that unwound by the early 2000s. I think Exxon was the last to um, exit its stake in Chilean miner. Um, but then, you know, 20 years on from that, the world is a very different place again, obviously, and we think that could be a, a reversal of that process in the next few years. Um, last week, in fact, um, or recently, we saw when we heard that Saudi Arabia was um, announcing plans to invest in mining to um, essentially with the aim of moving away from fossil fuels by the end of um, this decade. Great. Um, comparing it to some of the some of the other uh, energy transition metals, which tend to be what we'd call minor metals, whether it be lithium, rare earths and so on. Um, there is a there is a demand, particularly in lithium, which has gone from being what would be termed an industrial mineral uh, to a technology metal, um, with all of the uh, growing pains that that might 
that that might entail. Um, there's there's been a kind of push for um, more downstream companies to get mm. involved in investment. Yeah. So going right through to the OEMs, you know, the Fords of this world or the Teslas and so on. Um, is that something that you see in in the copper side yeah. of things? Yeah, interesting. Um, I was going to say it's quite a fragmented industry, but there is potential for consumers to get involved um, upstream as well. Uh, I think, like you're saying, I. With nickel and cobalt, we saw that with some battery firms buying into mine projects, and the the instance of Tesla considering buying into um, Glencore. So it, it yeah, it could be in the interest of consumers to do the same. Um, and even if it doesn't happen at that stage of the supply chain, they are they probably are going to get more involved somewhere along this supply chain. Yeah, I think it, I think I think that's 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 probably key because if they just re, if you just rely on the traditional investment community, the pot of money is is finite, as it were. Mm. Um, so I think it does it does certainly need all parts of the supply chain to get involved. I guess if we just stick for one final one final question in terms of the supply. Um, obviously, we've been talking here about primary supply of copper, so new new expansions at existing projects or new mines. Um, how do you see the role of recycling, so secondary copper, um, and obviously the importance of s- sustainability, the circular economy, and so on? How does that how does that play into the copper market? Yeah, I think you know recycling. Obviously, it's already an important part of the supply picture. Um, but lower energy usage and emissions really make it inevitable that recycling will become a more significant part of that supply picture. Um, end of life material availability in China um, in particular is expected to become a greater factor in the supply picture in the medium term, coinciding with that anticipated period of tightness due to low mine supply growth um, in the kind of medium term view after those first two years that Karen mentioned where we're we're actually forecasting strong growth. So I think it has become more difficult to recover metal from the complex products produced, but efforts are in place. Consumers are being encouraged to innovate with new product designs that are you know, readily recyclable. You know, I think it's, it's that thing where governments are gonna have to play a key role and will want to as well, um, be that through regulation, um, probably through regulation, in fact, that promotes end-of-life recovery and recycling across um, across society um, at the corporate or industrial level, should we say, and, the, and for individuals. I suppose in that regard, it's interesting to note that, that the US, which was a, a country that was, you know, for, for a long time um, closing secondary plants, say in the 1990s, early 2000s, is, is increasing its secondary capacity again, wanting to close that um, loop um, recycling, refining, and uh, I think you know they're they're starting up a new plant due on stream later this year. Yeah, and I suppose that there is a big difference depending on on the end use of the copper. Um, I mean, if it's copper going into power cables underground, presumably they have a a fairly long life lifetime, so that that material wouldn't be available to recycling. Whereas if you're using copper in a fast moving consumer good, yeah. um, or a battery you know, a re, uh, one of the small cells and so on, they're, they're obviously uh, a lot more recyclable, mm. a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, so maybe just switching to the demand side, uh, what are you seeing in terms of on, on the new technology side? What's what are the key? What are the key areas for copper? I suppose it's essentially 
electric vehicles are going to be it's essentially the, the sort of new energy transition which, which we've been speaking about earlier um we, we've sort of focused on supply here but it's it's the um yeah the more copper that's used in electric vehicles the um the greater amounts of copper that are needed in in renewable power and i think with the you know clearly with the uh, renewable power you know when the sun stops shining I'm not predicting the end of the planet. I'm just, you know, obviously in the sun cycle and then if the wind stops blowing, um, you know, you need to be able to, you need more control and more maintenance. Power's going to flow in both directions, right? I mean, you're going to have consumers selling power back to the grid. Um, so these smart grids are obviously, you know, way more copper intensive. So I guess our grid in the UK is, is definitely in need of a refit. Um, you know, uh, I wouldn't have thought it's... Um, ready for thousands, hundreds of thousands of consumers to start selling power back into the grid. So I think, yeah, the smart grid technology is going to obviously needs to be upgraded, going to consume a lot of um, uh, copper as well. And we touched on this earlier, but I guess, you know, looking at EVs, obviously we, we see lots of EV sales forecasts and, you know, growth of 25% per year. I mean, particularly in China, which is is going great guns in terms of EV sales, but Europe is, uh, you know, EVs seem very popular and they're kind of bucking the trend of the of the uh, automotive industry at a, as a whole. And we did see that in terms of um, 2020 with the with COVID, when automotive production overall was down by about 20 25 percent, but EV sales globally were up 10 to 15 percent. Um, but you you did mention things like autonomous vehicles and people just not having cars and not driving. Um, are you are you saying that, you know, the sales figures or the sales figures that we're seeing for EVs are, are a bit too optimistic? Um, I think essentially some of the projections that you're seeing by some quarters are the best case scenario. And we would, um, I think as a, a lot of more people are increasingly are doing so, are sort of warning against ad adopting that sort of bullish like for like um, projection as you say uh, it's the different lifestyles the population there will there will be a decrease in the per capita car ownership obviously there will be some places where it's a suburban lifestyle so that can't really change people will still need the, the same amount of cars um, in developed countries I, I think it's going to be quite a factor and and apart from the extreme bulls that, that is coming into um, forecasts a bit more now perfect so if we if we were to summarize um we're obviously seeing this supply conundrum potentially a lack of investment in in new supply or new projects um what's your overall view of this conundrum yeah i think it is a bit disconcerting you're right i mean that that that, that supply gap but i think if experience has taught us anything where there's a will there is a way I don't think there's going to be one single solution, combination of factors. We kind of spoken them already about here. There's recycling, new technology, changing demand, demand patterns. And even though there's not clarity in all of those solutions, um, you know, just a, a, a straight line ruler with exponential growth, um, you know, likewise is not going to be the outcome. So I think, you know, metal that is needed will be produced at the right price point. Um, there's going to be periods of tightness. But, you know, in our view, copper's not really heading for a structural deficit. Great. Well, thank you very much for that. It was a very interesting discussion. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tune in to our other episodes to learn more about the metals markets. For more information about copper, please visit argusmedia.com.